Welcome to the Sunday evening service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where Pastor Lauren Regeer opens God's Word each week to provide us with biblically-based teaching that helps you meet life head-on. Thank you for joining us, and may your hearts be blessed as God's Word is taught. And now, here is Pastor Lauren Regeer. John chapter 4, please. I always, at this time of the year, um, feel a little bit like a a long-distance runner lacing up his shoes uh, for uh, the race ahead. I know this is the Olympic season, but with a a church, with a Christian school, I just can almost feel the busyness of the fall schedule. And it's a good busy, as they say, but there is a a different level of activity around a a church, especially a church and school situation. And I almost uh, feel it's important this time of year to remind ourselves of the importance of the main thing. See this wonderful text before us. It's a familiar text to you, just like the one was this morning. John chapter 4, the woman at the well, the heart of true worship. I don't know how you would define worship. I suppose a lot of people think it as a style, right? Uh, We're a little more country down the road than you are, a little southern gospel. No, we're a little more rock and roll, whatever it is, your style. Uh, I I can't really marry rock and roll to worship, but there are some that would believe that, and there are some that think that worship is simply a style. Uh, But that's truly not the heart of true worship. We're going to see that God in this wonderful text of Scripture will tell us what's about, about his heart. He says, I want people to worship me, what? In spirit and in truth. Father, we pray that you would teach us that. Life can be very busy, hectic. There are times that we can just go through the motions. We can do the right thing, check the right boxes. But in, in the end, if we do not transact with you true worship, then Lord, that's all we're doing is going through the motions. And there can be a a whole lot of things for us to do and keep up with. But Lord, I pray our hearts would be right. And that every day, not just Sundays, but every day there would be this spirit of true worship in our soul. Lord, we do love you. I pray that you would know that through our actions, through our obedience, and through our heartfelt adoration of you. Lord, I, I would pray that you would slow us down each day. As we begin the day, perhaps, perhaps as we end the day, to be reminded that you are truly the love of our hearts. And Lord, I pray that in the busyness of the fall, the school schedules and dropping off the kids and packing lunches and doing all the things that we need to do, we wouldn't forget you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here it is, John 4, a familiar text. There is a woman coming, as she did, I'm sure, just about every day to get some water for her family. Verse 7 says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. Jesus is there. The disciples were gone, it says. And uh, the disciples were gone away to buy meat, food uh, for, I'm sure, for lunch or supper. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, a complete stranger, really, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest to drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. Now, this is a new term for her, for sure. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep, up to a hundred feet, some say. From whence then hast thou that living water? 
Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us, gave, gave us this well at Sychar, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? This well was a special well. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. There's a really a, a double negative there. Shall never know never thirst again. The water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, now very interested, I'm sure, sir, sir, give me this water that I may thirst not, neither come hither to draw. She's thinking, of course, in the physical sense of the water below the ground. Jesus saith unto her, go call thy husband. An interesting turn of discussion, isn't it? And come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said. I have no husband, for thou hast had five Husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that thou, that thou saidst truly. And the woman said unto him, Sir, probably rather demurringly, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers, she changes the subject, worships in this mountain, Mount Gerizim, and ye say, And Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, speaking of the Jews, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We'll stop there, but this is an interesting exchange, isn't it? It's really not a a story about water. Uh, you might say, well, pastor, what about the living? Well, certainly that's part of the story and a great part of it. It's not really designed for evangelism, although we, great, we glean great principles from this text about evangelism. It, it, what I like in the middle of this exchange from the Lord to this woman, there is that little phrase that always grasps my attention and convicts me. Uh, it's found in verse 23, towards the end of it, for the Father is seeking worshipers. How good are you at worship? How would you even define it? If you can't define it, probably we can't defend it or even practice it very well. Be interesting, wouldn't it, if this were a Sunday school class to ask you what you think about worship and what it is. Well, there's not only that statement, but there's a proof of his deity because he says in verse 26, a little later on in the text, uh, the woman again saying, I know that the Messiah, when he cometh, called the Christ, when he has come, he will tell us all things. He will sort this out. He will tell us where to worship and how. And Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Wow. And he is also alluding to the fact that we are made for worship and that God longs to be worshiped. He was going to tell this lady a little bit about how to worship. Again, my confession is that I'm not the greatest of worshipers. And uh, as, as school is about to begin and the busy schedule ramps up a little bit, I would have to confess that I know a little bit about how to study, a little bit how to preach. I'm learning that anyway. I had to counsel, to pray, to teach, to read the Word, to organize principles from a text. But worship... 
I struggle with that. Do you? Could you define it? Have you done it today? You say, I've been in church. I listened to a podcast from a famous preacher or a television show, a television broadcast. Well, God says, I want you to know what worship is. You see this woman desperate and hungry for true spiritual reality in her life. The Lord knew it. And this was a divine appointment. And he was going to be to her everything she needed spiritually. Someone said of worship, worship ascends in sincerity. It affirms his truth, ascribes to God glory and honor. It attires itself with purity and praise. It approaches him with holy passion. It adores him with reverence. This is the true worshiper that God is seeking. Are you a good worshiper? You say, well, my prayer life, just listen to my prayers. I'm thankful. I thank the Lord for my family, my salvation, my food, my church, my new car, my house. Maybe it's an old car you're thankful for. That's fine too. But how long has it been since you've adored the one who gave you life? Are you a good worshiper? I, I love this kind of homespun definition of worship. It would be this, it's to keep eye contact with God. Little boy, age seven, lost his mother. Tragically, an accident after the funeral. He could not get to sleep. He tossed and turned. He missed his mom. Finally, he uh, just went to his father's bedroom and curled up in bed by his daddy, and, and, and he just couldn't sleep. And even though he knew his mother was in heaven, he missed her terribly. And, and finally, the dad put his hand on his little son's back and said, son, it's going to be okay. God is taking care of, of mom. And she's, he said, I know it, daddy. I know it, but I just can't sleep. Finally, he reached up and grabbed his daddy's face, both hands, and said this, daddy, if I know you're looking at me, I'll be okay. Turn your face to me. You know, I think about this, that God, I better stay here, that God made us for worship. He did. And I wonder how long it's been since you turned your face and gave him your full attention. It's easy to be busy doing church stuff. It's easy to check the boxes, as I said. But where are your eyes? Your, your heart will follow your eyes. Where, what, have, what have you been desiring and looking at? I do believe the supreme priority of the Father in heaven is he is seeking, his eyes are seeking for those that are looking at him and saying, Lord, what do you want for me? What do you have for me? How can I love you more? He created us differently than all the animals with a spirit that's eternal and has a capacity for worship. The highest priority after our redemption was not heaven. It was not our rescue, not that you could receive a spiritual gift, not healing. God didn't save you to make you happy or even wealthy or healthy. But his desire in saving you was that you would worship him. 
So often in our assimilation efforts at church, we start with this premise. What is it that we can do as a church to attract the community around us? What unique options can we provide? What daycare, camp, entertainment, hope, family atmosphere, better singing, quality, child care, bigger nurseries? What can we do to win the lost? May I just um, propose to you that a worshiping church is the greatest assimilation tool in your toolbox. Churches that just know how to love God with all their hearts. And you can tell it, a worshiping church, when you walk in the door. The idea in the Greek behind worship, if we want to get technical about it a little bit, uh, two or three words are in play, proskuneo, or proskuneo, excuse me. And the second, uh, it, the first word means the kissing of the hand. Think of that. It is almost as if you can picture someone coming before a king, kneeling and bowing, and the hand is extended from the one who is the magistrate or uh, the high ruling official, and the hand is kissed in a sense of um, adoration. The second is la treuo, ascribing to him honor. Third is a Hebrew word, shaka, to bow down. So the idea is humble honor and love from the heart. I remind you of the very familiar words in Romans 12. In verses 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The Greek there is your spiritual service of worship. Same Greek word, latreuo. Why that word? It is from that base, it is the reasonable response to God's saving grace that we worship. It's only reasonable that we give to God our heart if he's given to us his son. Have you been worshiping well? I would like to become more effective in my worship. So as we again concentrate on this passage of scripture, let's again try to decide and try to determine what true good worship is. To understand verse 20, and let's read that again. We've read the text, but verse 20, uh, our fathers, he again seemingly uh, changes, she changes the subject and, and she tries to get, get the, the perception of Jesus Christ off her sinfulness to the subject of worship. Often we see this on door-to-door activities, or you talk to somebody about the Lord, uh, and they would kind of change the subject, especially when you talk about sinfulness. Well, uh, I go to a good church down the road, I'm okay. Or I go to that church, we're fine. And uh, in verse 20 says, Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, Mount Gerizim. And ye say, in that mountain is the place where men ought to worship. How can we know? Her desire here is not so much to derail the Lord. She doesn't really know who he is, although she perceives that he's a, a spiritual man, a prophet. It is that she is, she is really exposing the quest of her heart. I want to know. Is it possible to know where to worship? Often we, uh, we do that. We try to figure out the place. I think to understand this verse, we need to know a little bit about human nature and a little bit about the history behind, behind this text. What is it that really motivates true worship? And she, first of all, says, I don't want anybody talking about my sordid life. That's human nature, isn't it? We evade that question. I don't want to talk about sin right now. And uh, the second idea here is history. 
there's a, there's a good uh, background to this, and it is that this area of Samaria was hated by the Jews. And you know the story a little bit, right? 721, the Assyrians came in and leveled uh, Israel and took all the folks with them uh, as captives. A few in the projects, we could call it, were left behind, residual to the area. A little bit later, they intermarried, especially with the Babylonians. And they adopted not only the background of the Jews, they retained that. They wanted to have some kind of connection to their heritage in the history They wanted to be known as Jews, close to God, the people of God, but because of their intermarriage, they adopted a kind of a a syncretism, a, a form of worship that included a lot of the paganism of Babylon, and they just put it together with what they knew about the scriptures, the Torah. And so it was a strange, eclectic mix. That's why the Lord says... You worship what you know not. It's a mess. But he doesn't take sides necessarily. There is such an animosity here between the Jews and the uh, Samaritans that many of the Jews would go out of the way to, to what? To walk around this area. But when they did go through, they almost felt like they had to cleanse themselves and they would spit on the ground when they even talked about Samaritans. That's how much... They hated, and yet God stopped here on purpose. He talks with them or her about worship. Now, what happened on this mountain, 128 BC, a man by the name of Maccabean, by the name of John Hyrcanus, destroyed the temple that was there that they worshiped in. And so there was really nothing. They would meet on top of the vacant mountain, those that were spiritually minded and and they would have a form of free-willing, free-wheeling kind of a worship service that was connected in its form to a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different spiritual backgrounds, paganism and a little bit of the law. And they wanted to hang on a little bit to the truth that was in Jerusalem. They knew it was there. And they had asked for a priest to come and minister to them, but no priest, no Jewish priest in his right mind would go over there. And so they were left to direct themselves in a kind of an open style of worship. Of course, we know that at the temple in Jerusalem, that's where true orthodoxy was posited. That's where people that really knew the law and had the right bloodline went. After all, it was the city of God. So there was a genuine, first of all, genuine dilemma in worship. I can't, she's saying, I can't ever find the right place. And if I found the right place, I don't even know if they would allow me to go there. Number one, I'm a Samaritan woman. Number two, I'm a woman and they'll never allow me past the court of women. I could never, ever worship there, sir. I can't find the right place. Like many, this woman associated worship with a place. And so we see that she was confused, and understandably so. Jewish worship was highly rooted in a ritualized, liturgical, traditional, laced-with-rules format, formalism. And she couldn't even go to the temple in Jerusalem. Her worship center, on the other hand, was not so structured or ornate, formal, or closed, it represented a free spirit. And his answer to this question, where in the world 
should I go? How can I know? How can I transact true worship? It surprised her a little bit. Jesus said unto her, verse 21, Woman, believe me. That an interesting phrase. Believe me. The hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain, Mount Gerizim, nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. He didn't say, you really need to come our way. He didn't take sides right here. In fact, he just says, there's a time fast approaching when worship will not exclusively be tied to a place, the temple or this mountain. The hour's coming and now is. What did he mean by that? The hour is coming and now is. He says, I, I represent the tran- transitional time between the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and the New, where in the Old I was in tabernacled in the tabernacle, and in the New I'm in tabernacled in the hearts of men and women who are, who are redeemed. And Jesus was holding his hands between the Old and New. He says, I represent the transition. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so he's saying to her that shallow worship of Mount Gerizim Gerizim is, is unacceptable, as was the hypocritical pride of Mount Zion. And what is so amazing is Jesus is now presenting himself to her, I am here. I'm standing at your well. I'm not someone way away, far off, an idea or a concept. I'm not necessarily the God who's enshrined now in the, in the tabernacle. I'm standing at the well, your well. Worship is now available in spirit and truth. Now is the time. Here is the place. And worship, he is saying, is a matter of the truth and heart. It doesn't have to be produced artificially by cathedral high ceilings and temples and sanctuaries, harp music, creeds, constitutions. All these things must point to Christ. They're not necessarily wrong. But he's saying true worship happens in the heart, right? It happens now, here. I am the Messiah, he says to her, standing right here. How many of us have walked past him in order to find a place to worship? How many of us run to different places? Things, concerts, events, hoping to find there an elevated sense of worship. The sad thing is, we can miss the main thing. Get this, please. God is standing at the well of your heart, the well of Sychar. And this woman didn't have a clue who he was. He, she was about to miss the greatest opportunity of her life. Jesus was standing there, and they're talking about where should we go, and she's serious about it. I want to know where I can truly go and find worship. Where can I go? So many people are doing that. Where can, where can I get closer to God? And he's available to us, isn't he? Call upon him while he may be found. The saddest reality of heaven 
is worship that was never transacted but could have been. The greatest regret of heaven is how little we have spoken to God in our dispensation. How little worship has been transacted from our heart when he is standing the will of our hearts. Oh, this thing breaks my own heart. People coming to churches for years, wanting to worship, and God longing to be worshipped, yet so little genuine adoration is transacted. Why? We've lost sight of him. It's missing in many of our activities and the church schedule. A number of years ago, I was able to read an account about a christening party. We've had a few new babies, but we don't practice that here. A christening party at a wealthy Boston suburb. The parents had opened their palatial estate to friends and relatives who came to celebrate the wonderful event. As the party was moving along and people were having a wonderful time eating and drinking, celebrating, and enjoying one another, someone said, by the way, where's the baby? The heart of the mother jumped, and she instantly left the room and rushed into the master bedroom where she had left the baby asleep in the middle of the massive bed. The baby was dead, smothered by the coats of the guests. Wow. What is church about? What is your devotion, your devotional read-through-the-year schedule about? Has God heard from you? He's the main focus of our lives. I wonder sometimes if there is a genuine, genuine dilemma in our worship. There is. Well, the Lord's description is very, of worship, true worship, is very short. He, uh, this is cursory, introductory. It's not the whole teaching of the New Testament on worship. I know that, but it really gets to the core of it, doesn't it? The hour cometh, and now is verse 23, when, when true worship... A true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. What is, he does for us is really initiatory here. It's really introductory, but what a great start it is. What is true worship? The Lord tells us what it is. It is the combination what? It is the combination of truth coupled with genuine heart, heart worship. You see there in verse 24 that the little s is used at the end of the verse. It doesn't mean a spirit, the spirit himself, but we must worship him in our spirit. That means with our full heart. He looked at this lady, he says, you worship what you don't know. It's mystical, it's freewheeling, it's, it's just an emotional time. And that's not the sense of true worship, emotional feeling, no. But at the same time, a truth should not be devoid of true heart. Mark 7 and verse 6 says, Jesus told the scribes and Pharisees, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Mount Gerizim, it was this freewheeling open, uh, you know, kind of we see it somewhat on the television, uh, certain churches, it's all, about, it's all about the sway, you know. It looks good, but is there truth associated with that? And then on the other hand, God did not commend 
lifeless orthodoxy of the Jews. He says, I really want you to know about God and who God is and be truth-centered, but I want your heart to be a part of it. I want you to worship me in spirit and truth. You might say, well, I left that dead church over there on the other side of town, and now I'm in a hand-clapping, tongue-speaking, raise-the-dead kind of place. The doctrine is some kind of, sometimes inexact, but man, we got the spirit. We got less brimstone and more fun. We are delivered. We are thrilled, chilled, and filled with all kinds of wonderful, warm fuzzies. It's a great place to go to church. Doctrine is, uh, you know, up and down, so-so, but man, do we feel the spirit over there. The Jews rolled their eyes at this and said, oh no, we've got it together. We've got Moses. We've got the books of Moses. We've got the truth, bless God. We don't need any of that stuff over there. That's spooky. That's sensational. God did not reply to the woman, you have your way and I have mine. Rather, he describes true worship at its very core. It is truth and it is spirit. When truth gets a hold of your heart, your heart follows along, doesn't it? Do you think that our church, Bible Baptist Church, could use a good dose of heart worship? I do. I know I can, should. Sometimes we, we're afraid, aren't we? Even to raise a hand a little bit. Oh, somebody might see, see me. I'm thankful for our church. I think it's a church that's well put together. I would be a little bit nervous if somebody started jumping pews. But folks, we need to know this, that God ought to be worshipped from our hearts, right? There ought to be a love that's evident in our hearts. Spirit and truth do not have to be opposing realities. God is a spirit, and those that worship him must, not maybe, sometimes, but must, no other option must worship him in spirit and in truth. Truth must be present, or worship is a little bit unacceptable, a lot bit unacceptable. And uh, I remember one time, uh, Whitney was still at home at the time, and we were trying to level a picture in the, uh, in the living room, a new picture we were putting on the wall. And he, she and I were having a discussion about how level it was. Uh, you know, I just thought it needed to be go a little bit to the right. She thought it ought to go a little to the left. And we had this long, just, no, 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 no. We, step back here, honey. Get my perspective on this. No, hun, dad, that's just not. And finally, I said this, let's, let's settle this. Go down in the basement, honey. Pick up my level. She's afraid of the basement. She says, dad, you go do that. Um, you go down there. Get and so I did. I went down there. And I got my long four foot level, brought it back up. And we put it on top of the picture and we both smiled. There's the truth. When we got that bubble right in the middle, that's level. Here's the level, right? We live by this book. We don't make stuff up. We don't throw our opinion as valuable as the Lord's opinion. No, we submit ourselves to the truth of Scripture. We obey it. We believe it. But such truths ought to inflame the heart with joy. God is in us. We are the tabernacle of this wonderful truth that God lives in us. I mentioned that this morning, how, how joyful a person ought to be knowing that the one who saved them and sealed them for all eternity lives within us. We are the church. It's not a place, building, program, the people of God. 
They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We, uh, we are told in, in this verse 10, I believe it is, Jesus says, if you only knew, if you only knew the gift of God and who it is that said unto thee, give me to drink, thou wouldst ask of him and he would have given thee living water. All her life long, she had panted and thirsted for a drink from some cool spring that would satisfy or quench the deep longings of her heart. And Jesus showed up right on time and said, if you only knew, I would have given to you. If you would only ask for it, I would have given to you the gift of living water. Spiritual, living water, an internal gift of God that has the quality that satisfies the soul. Whosoever, verse 14, drinks this water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Is your faith dry, boring? Is it only about some facts or a card you signed way back when and there's never been any joy or life since that time? And check it at the door. Because the life that comes from, eternal life that comes from God moves through us and you will never ever have the thirst and longing again. Once, Jesus, once you taste a drink of living water, there's no other taste like it. The water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water, spiritual life springing up into everlasting life. The deepest longing of your heart is for a Savior and for life. And if your life is a mess, he told her that your life is a mess. You, you're on your sixth relationship. You, fa- you failed in five marriages. You're conquered and captive by sin you're tired and you're thirsty and you're looking for some answers in life and here I am if only you would have asked me of course there is this offer that continues and she runs to the village and basically knowing now that it is the Messiah that came to her well the well of Jacob she spills over this living water in her over the whole village come meet a man who's unlike any I've ever met this must be the Messiah You know that this kind of worship, this kind of love for God ought to spill over on other people. It's not a secret we keep. It is a living well of water that springs up from our hearts and people around us just have to know there is a living uh, God within us. Again, I mentioned verse 14. There's a double negative there, absolute negative. He shall... Never, no, ever, (laughs) no, never, as it relates to living water, thirst. Again, the life I give is eternal. It can never, no, never be stopped, stayed, or removed. Come to this fountain so rich, so deep. Cast thy poor soul at the Savior's feet. Plunge in today. Be made complete. Glory to his name. Are you a worshiper? Are you? Have you had a good talk with the Lord that you love lately? Is it shining through your life? Is there a river of life flowing out of you? 
You know the Savior? Well, let your face know it. Let your neighbors know it. Let the world know it. Let your church know it. Father, we thank you for this time in the Word tonight, and I pray that you would help us as we move into the busy schedule of fall. Lord, would you give us a true desire and a thirst for living water? And then, Lord, give us a taste for that kind of spiritual life and that alone. May we be those who are not only enabled and energized by grace, but, Lord, may folks see it the way we live. May it be the the very motivator of our witness. Lord, I pray that that would be true of our church. It would be true of my heart. May this not be a duty here to come to church, but Lord, may we truly enjoy the worship from our heart to yours. Help us to live and lead a thank you life, for you mean so much to us. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Pastor Lauren Regeer at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.